you have single-handedly changed our family because of mastermind because i felt safe enough and realized with your help realized that it's not just about the picking up of the toys and the back talk and the productive conversation scripts it's not about that it's about healing myself and becoming a better version of myself and showing up and being able to be that way for my entire family I really credit you with doing something that I literally have not been able to do with countless therapists and all the journaling and all the thinking and all the meditating and all the things. It was because of you. So thank you for helping heal what I thought was unhealable. Rubenstein and welcome to the Mastermind Parenting Podcast, where we believe when your thoughts grow, the conversations in your home flow. Hey guys, Laura Max Rose here. I hope you all had a great weekend. Today I am airing one of my conversations with the parenting coach, Randy Rubenstein. If you've been around here for a while, you've heard of Randy. She's been on the show about three or four times in the past talking about different hot button topics like how to deal with meltdowns, the stay at home versus working mom debate, quarantine parenting, and I always absolutely love her insight and what she has to say. The other thing that's really unique about her episodes is that I always end up having a coaching session with her. I really bring my latest areas where I'm stuck as a parent to her, and she really helps me work through them in real time. So these are probably the episodes in which I'm the most vulnerable, and I'm excited to share this episode with you about siblings and sibling dynamics and how to navigate so many of the things that as parents of multiple children come up, I feel like very, very constantly. I am your host, Laura Max Rose, and I am joined again today by parenting coach, Randy Rubenstein. Randy, you are probably the number one most quoted individual who has ever been on this show. Welcome back, Randy. Thank you. That's so sweet of you to say. I probably quote things that you've told me in former episodes in every single episode. And I just did, I just recorded my 50th episode of Look Ma No Hands, and I did the top 10 things that I've learned um, from recording 49 episodes of this show thus far. And the first one was from you. It was Q-tip, quit taking it personally. And that just that one line changed the way I view so many conflicts with my children. So th- if this is the first time you're hearing an episode with Randy, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to some other ones if you like what she has to say. Today, we're talking about siblings and sibling dynamics and sibling rivalry, which I'm kind of shocked I've actually gotten this far in this podcast without ever discussing this before. But as I explained on Instagram a little bit earlier today, I like to discuss things on this show that I'm dealing with firsthand because it helps me ask better questions. If I'm in the trenches with something, um, I know what a parent is experiencing and the questions that parents have because I'm one of those parents. And this issue hasn't been a major challenge for me up until recently. And I, I wouldn't call it a major challenge, but it's definitely something that I'm starting to see more of as far as being tongue-tied. I'm having these scenarios with my kids where I really don't know what to say and I don't know how to handle them. Um, So my oldest is about to be four years old and my youngest is about a year and a half old. And I remember when I was pregnant with my youngest, I was at an event and I was about to give birth And someone said, you know, you're about to have a baby, but don't forget that your oldest is still your baby. And she was two and a half when my 
um, when Violet was born. And I remember just taking that in and feeling like this person said this to me for a reason. And now looking back, I can just see so much more clearly how young my oldest was when Violet was born. But there was something about having a baby that made her seem so old. Um, Suddenly, the expectations placed on her were higher. And that was sort of an involuntary thing that happened. There was a baby, the baby needed more attention. And Selma, you know, was really forced to assume an older role, which is my understanding happens among siblings, um, among siblings, quite frequently. So I asked you before the show started, um, what are the two things that parents come to you most frequently about when it comes to siblings. And you said sharing and violence, which I think is pretty much every question that I have for you is something around that. And I want you to talk, um, start us off here and talk a little bit about um, what parents come to you about and, and how you tend to guide them. And then I'll go into a few scenarios that I've been experiencing with my kid based kids based off of my age discrepancies based off of the fact that they aren't both babies, that one of them is more of a baby than the other and managing that since the oldest definitely wants to be treated in the same way as the youngest. Um, And some other things that I've heard parents ask me about that they would love to hear from you on. So go ahead, Randy. Okay. Well, when you asked me about this, I said, oh, well, coincidentally, I've been procrastinating, finishing a little mini book that I've been writing all about my sibling fighting tool. So this is happening for a reason because literally it's been like the thing that I'm like, I'm like 90% finished with it. And I just haven't finished that last 10%. And there you um, go. I know. And I keep saying to my, and really the last 10% is just me wrapping it all up. And, um, and I'm, I've tried to delegate it to like, members of my team. yeah, I'm like, Oh, maybe you could just look at this and just wrap it up for me real quick. And then anyone on my team that tries to write anything, that's the only thing I'm a control freak about. I'm like, Oh, that's not my voice. No, no, no. Yep. Wrong. Totally get it. So I was like, damn it. I have to do it myself. Um, can I read to you? I'll, and, and granted, this is whenever you're writing a book, you have what Anne Lamott calls your SFD, which is your shitty first draft. Um, Can I read to you a little portion of my shitty first draft? Um, Proceed. okay. Okay. The history of sibling relationships. It's important to look at the basic foundation of the sibling relationship. Let's begin by looking at the older child's perspective when their younger sibling arrives home from the hospital. Okay. Is that helpful to hear? To yes. you? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So now italics. Um, imagine this is in the ch- in the older sibling's voice. I'm three. Mommy's belly has been growing and they've been telling me our new baby's coming soon. I don't really understand, but mommy and daddy seem really excited. And since they're happy, I feel happy. Mommy's been acting tired and she isn't able to play with me as much. I get frustrated by that. Sometimes they get upset with me when I want mommy to run or pick me up. They tell me that mommy can't do those things because of the baby. I don't see a baby. <laughs> I get confused. <laughs> yeah. I, I just want my old mommy back that used to be able to- I want to cry <laughs> listening to this, just so you know. Like, I'm still heartbroken for my yeah. old. Like, it's just a part of life, but it's so hard. I know. I just want my old mommy back that used to be able to do all the things with me. Sometimes I whine or cry or run away because I don't know what else to do when I'm feeling frustrated and confused. I wake up one morning and mommy isn't home. Grandma tells me that daddy's with mommy at the hospital. She's having the baby and will be sleeping at the hospital for two sleeps. I miss mommy and I just want her to come home. 
Daddy comes home and tells me that we're going to the hospital to meet my new sister. He's very excited. I'm excited to see mommy. We all go to the hospital. It smells funny. When I run into the room, mommy smiles and I run to give her a hug and a kiss, but she doesn't get out of the bed. She seems sick. I'm just so excited to see her and I crawl up to the bed to snuggle and be with her. Daddy seems angry and tells me to stop being so rough. I'm not being rough. I'm just excited to see my mommy. Mommy sounds tired and she tells daddy that she's okay and to bring my baby sister over to meet me. Daddy brings the baby over to us. Mommy moves me over and holds the baby sister in her arms. Wait, I'm supposed to be in those arms. I want mommy's arms around me, but she says she can't hug me while she's holding the baby. I poke the baby because I want it to go back to its bed so mommy can hug me. Baby sister starts crying. Mommy has her mean face on it and I know that she I know that that means she's not happy with me. Daddy says a lot of words and he's angry with me too. I jump off the bed and decide to run out of the room and check out the hospital. Daddy runs down <laughs> Daddy runs down the hall after me. He picks me up with his mean hands and he's got a serious face on. He tells me that we're going home and to tell mommy and baby sister goodbye. When mommy and baby sister come home the next day, I'm so excited. I run and yell, mommy's home, mommy's home. Baby sister starts crying. Mommy and daddy start yelling at me. I'm confused. I want baby sister to go away. I want my old daddy and mommy back. The ones that played with me and held me and hugged me. Ever since baby sister got here, it seems like everything I do is wrong. I don't like baby sister. Everything changed once she arrived. Oh, Okay. So here we are, right? I mean, you hear that. And I can imagine if I wasn't a parent and I was listening to that, I would be like, mom and dad, what are you doing? Be nice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I've been that mom. I mean, I bent over backwards to make my oldest feel like she was the center of my universe to the point that I ended up in the hospital a week later with a nurse telling me you have got to slow down. You cannot Mm -hmm. move heaven and earth for this child. She needs to feel what's happening to her. And I just started sobbing. And I said, I can't, like, she's my, I I can't, you know, Mm -hmm. it was so hard for me to let her have that experience that you're just describing. And mom and dad are amped up because you have this precious little baby Mm -hmm. that you need to protect. And biologically, you're like, stop running and jumping next to this tiny baby. (laughs) Um, There's so many things going on. So now here's the question. I mean, how do we navigate as parents? You know, I've heard that for the, for the older child, this is like the equivalent of you basically cheating on them. Like if you were married to them, that's how they feel. So how can we support them through just the experience of having a sibling throughout their lives? You know, I think this part of really understanding their perspective that in its, I, I describe it the way you just described it. It's like you bring home is like, if your spouse brought home a new partner, and they were like, hey, there's plenty of me to go around. Yeah, no, there's <laughs> and, not. Like, yeah. are you kidding? Yeah, yeah and y'all, y'all have someone to help you with do all those things that you don't really want to do. Now you can split those chores up with that person. Right. Um, so, um, and we're like, no, I didn't sign up for this. Um, I didn't know this was coming. And so you kind of feel blindsided. And then that's how our kids feel. So I think it's just important to kind of understand the older child's perspective and like, you like you did you want you overcompensated to the point that then old mommy's not back because old mommy has to get hospital hospitalized yeah, old mommy were, was like walking right into the mud 
basically. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, we're damned if we do, and we're damned if we don't. And I think it's sort of similar to the Q-tip, which is, this is a mindset issue. Mm. And mm-hmm. if we just understand that, you know, I think so many of us have this dream that we, we want our kids to grow up and be best friends. And I was, I just was with a friend of mine who came and joined me. I'm spending the month in Colorado and she drove in from Utah, really old friend of mine. She has three teenagers and, um, and they are all two years apart and my kids are farther in age apart. My kids are closer to four years apart. And, um, and it was so neat being around her three kids. They are all so close. They're literally like that dream of, I had three kids close in age and then they became teenagers and it all worked out and they're best friends. And, um, and there, both me and my husband were like, it was so neat, that dynamic, you know, cause my kids would love to have kids, to have siblings only two years apart. And so there was a little bit of that. Um, it wasn't, it was like, we were so happy to be around that and it was really neat to see. And I think that many of us have that dream that our kids are going to grow up and be best friends. And so what we don't understand is that it doesn't start that way when you have, you know, a baby and a toddler, um, you gotta, you gotta realize that your mindset, your mindset has to be adjusted for, I have to meet them where they are right now. And it's not personal. And the way they behave right now doesn't, it's not a determinant of what their future relationship will be. If I play it cool and I don't make anything into a bigger deal than it needs to be. And so I love that you said that because as parents in so many different areas, we project so much onto our little children. We've had all of these experience experiences. I didn't have a sibling, but my, my husband had a sister, has a sister and, um, he will read so much more into the little tiny, um, dynamics between our daughters in ways that I don't, because I didn't have any of those experiences. And I'll be the one who'll say, listen, I I hear you. And I know that that's what happened with you. But in this scenario, that's really not what's happening. This is like, it's so hard for us not to bring things that happened to us into the present moment with our kids and think that, oh, gosh, I really want you guys to get along so perfectly well, um, and read way too much into those tiny little things that happen when they're little kids. That's exactly right. That, that And so, so, so much of this is like when I teach my sibling fighting tool and the reason why I was like, I think I have to write a book about this because it's layered and complicated and there's a lot of mindset work uh, involved because we all, if we usually, I mean, even if you're an only child, you bring something to the table. So maybe it was like, I mean, maybe you're different and correct me if I'm wrong, but most only children I've known, it's like, well, I, I wanted my kids to have a different experience than that. I had more than one child because I always wished that I did have a sibling, you for, know, for sure. a hundred percent. Yes. Right. And so, yeah. um, and so, or like, I know, like I have, uh, one mom that I know that's in my mastermind and she had her kids like three kids super close in age because she had, she has siblings, but her siblings are 10 plus years older than her. So she got to, she saw them being so close. And then she was like on an Island by herself. And she, and you know, and so she was like, I I want, I want to make sure that my kids don't have that same experience. So most of us bring something to the table 
where, and that's where, you know, when you practice the Q-tip and you have a child that's exploding or doing whatever, and it, and you're saying in your head, like, this is not personal. This is not about me. This is about them. And you get yourself in check and keep your mindset where it needs to be. Like, that's a huge part of the equation. Well, it's the same here. And so when I'm teaching my sibling fighting tool, um, there's a whole parenting pre-work part, which is let's get clear about what, what narrative you're bringing into the equation here. So what is your birth order? You know, where were you categorized? Were you the older sibling who constantly got in trouble because you weren't, you know, you were bigger and you weren't being gentle enough and you weren't including them or whatever it was? Um, Or were you the younger sibling who constantly felt like you were powerless um, and, you know, you didn't get included or whatever? Um, So, you know, so everybody brings something to the table. And so I think it's important just to, you know, that's just self-awareness where it's like, let's go through this exercise so we can just figure out like you're human, you're going to bring something to the table. Let's just put it out there and understand what it is so that when that comes up for you and your kids are fighting, like it does for your husband and you're able to be like, Hey, 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 um, I, I don't really think it meant that. It's like, oh, well, I'm, this isn't brand new information. I went through this little exercise. I know what my narrative is, and I'm not going to make this about me. I'm going to stay calm and clear so that I can be the grown up here my kids need me to be without putting my old story on them. Well, I mean, just like you said, even being an only child, I certainly have many things that I bring to the table with my children, even not having had a sibling. And I think one of those things which many of us can relate to is just needing to be seen, wanting my parents to be proud of me, wanting them to acknowledge my accomplishments. And I noticed with my oldest daughter, um, so she's almost four, something has started where she really wants me to see that she has done something better than her sister would have. Look, mommy, I'm being quiet while Violet's crying. Um, Mm -hmm. Look, mommy, I put my stuff away and Violet didn't. And immediately I go to this place where I'm like, I I want you to know that I'm I'm proud of you. And I want you to know that you don't need to compare yourself to your sister. How do I communicate that to you? How do I make and then and then I can see myself. I'm like, okay, this is not I'm reading probably way too much into this. But I want her to understand that, you know, even when she's being even when she's being quiet, that's great that she's being quiet. I don't need her to tell me that she's being quiet and her sister isn't. What would you say to to me, I guess, <laughs> in that situation? Yeah. Okay, so this so I see the sibling fighting and I know everybody's going to be like, "What?" Um I see it always as an opportunity to teach our kids super valuable skills that are going to benefit them outside the home and possibly for the rest of their life. And, and percent. Yeah. Right. And so, um, and so I would say what she's presenting you with is I at almost four have received a message unintentionally because I know you and I know you're reading and you're, you know, look, you, you have me on this podcast all the time. Cause you're like, um, I really just want, you know, <laughs> I want to ask you questions. And so you're seeking, you're learning, you're reading, you really want to get this right. Okay. And I, I do, know- but I might have gotten it wrong this far. I won't give myself that much credit, but you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> 
do. You know, we we all do all the time. And so it's always Well, that, you know, her sister is this quiet, you know, child. I mean, my my spirited daughter is my oldest, and I definitely I work my tail off every day to make sure that she never has any idea that one of them is fundamentally less challenging in certain situations just by nature because I realize that that's their nature. I never compare them to each other, but I'm sure subconsciously, I mean, she can probably tell a difference in the way that we treat them because I'm a human being. So I'm sure that has something to do, or maybe that's where you're going, has something to do with why she would want me to know that she was being quieter. Well, you know, this is what I'll say is part of being a human is constantly learning, growing, and the way we learn and grow is to make mistakes and to then be self-aware enough to be like, oh, okay, not that. What do I do instead, right? Yeah, so what do I do instead? Okay, so the message that she unintentionally got, this is what, this is my hunch, is that of what I call external motivation, external validation. And so, you know, the goal really is, it's why I'm, I'm very anti, uh, rewards and punishments. So sticker charts and, and all those types of things where sometimes you can get a kid to feel motivated to do something or to cooperate or to have certain types of behavior through giving them some kind of a positive reinforcement sticker chart situation, it only works temporarily. Eventually it'll backfire because what it does is it instills this idea that they are doing things for constant external validation. Someone else is going to tell them that they're doing the right thing and they're going to give them a sticker or cookie or something. Right. And the goal really, the goal really is to help our kids be internally motivated, internally validated, doing the right thing just because, just because it feels good to do the right thing. And this is, you know, this is contrary to old school parenting beliefs. Old school parenting beliefs was that humans are going to do the wrong thing unless you give them some kind of carrot to do the right thing. It was like this, it was like this, uh, this, this inherent belief system that humans were sort of going to do the wrong thing. And what we know now is that that's actually not the case. Um, little kids, when you don't accidentally get in the way and, and give them things like sticker charts and, and constant praise for things that they should just be doing anyway and feeling good about doing, um, they they feel good about doing the right thing. They feel good about cooperative behavior. They feel good about kindness when we know how to support them in fostering more of that behavior. And so when she's saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, it's basically saying, I need you to tell me you're proud of me. I need you to notice that I did this thing. I don't have enough internally just to sort of validate myself and celebrate myself. Now, what it would look like is, and this is super controversial, even to the point that my kids bust my chops on this, but I'm pretty anti saying I'm proud of you. I Mm. am. And, 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 and so my, my kids will, because they're older at 22 years old and 19 and 14, they will bust my chops because they'll say, you know, my son just graduated from college and he's like, don't you want to tell me you're proud of me? 
that I just graduated in four years with a blah, blah, blah GPA. And I got a job and this, that, and the other. And I'm like, are you proud of you? And he's like, at this point in time, you can tell me you're proud of me. And I'm like, are you <laughs> proud of you? And your aunt, as I tell my kids, I mean, even just this morning, one of my ways of diffusing one of these situations with my daughter in the car asking for my approval, she asked me if I was proud of her. And I said, I'm always proud of you. Right. And now you're telling me. So I'm like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, I tell her I'm proud of her all the time. So I'm interested in hearing more of this. So, so yeah, are you proud of you? And then he'll, when they push me, I'm like, I am proud to be your mom all the time, even when you're showing up as the worst version of yourself, because I love you that much, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm your number one fan. I love you that much. I love you even when you're not likable. So and you say that, yeah. And I say, yeah. you know, and so, so am I proud of you? I'm proud to be your mom because I think you're an amazing human. And so when they're little and they're like, look at me, look at me, look at me, which is super normal because that's like, like that's primal. Oh, it is. Cause I'm like totally, you know, freaking out over here that my kid no. asked me if I'm proud of her, like every five seconds. It's a small <laughs> tweak. It's a small tweak when she, so she, so when she's saying, look at me, look at me, look at me, it's really that, uh, on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the need to belong. And she's saying, this is my pack. You are my pack leader. This is primal. I need to know you see me and I matter. And so I'm just needing a little extra support in this moment. I just want to know. That's why little kids at the park, like you'll be, if you go to a park with a friend and you're sitting and chatting, you're like, it's perfect. We'll sit and we'll chat and the kids can play. And then every five minutes, your kid's like, mommy, look at me, mommy, look, look, look. And really they're just saying like, Hey, you're my, you're my touch point. Like, Oh, you know, I was playing, I was having fun, but I need to know, do you see me? Do you know, let me know I matter. That'll help me to feel more grounded. And so when she's saying, you know, you know, look, I did this. And you're like, all you do, instead of saying, I'm so proud of you. If she says, are you proud of me? Say, you look at her and say, look at you, you, yes, you're being so quiet. Come here. Yeah. You say and whatever it is that she's doing. Yeah. And then you, and then if you really, she's just basically, it's your mindset of she needs to, you know, she probably feels a bit unsettled right now because when someone is crying, especially for little kids where they live in their emotional brains, the majority of the time, that's why they're so prone to meltdowns, especially spirited ones. Mm -hmm. um, there's something that happens within us as humans that is called co-regulation. And so it's that it's really hard to be totally unaffected when somebody is out of control emotionally around you. And so it's like, it's like our mirror neurons kick in is when somebody yawns and you all of a sudden need to yawn too. Right. So, um, so we're, you know, we, we co-regulate with other people. So her sister's crying and she's naturally a sensitive nervous system, spirited kid. She is feeling and taking all that in. It's, it's a lot for her not to have her nervous system go wacky in that moment. And so she's basically needing some grounding from you. So when she's saying, look at me, I stayed quiet, even when sister was crying, she's basically saying, I need you as a touch point right now, just to remind me that I'm grounded, that I'm safe, that my nervous system can relax and it doesn't have to go out of whack right now. And so, so something we can say in that scenario is look at you, you're, you're doing such a, you know, look at you, 
you're so would, calm or look at you. I would say, I would say, yes. I, you know, I, yeah. I, I like okay. the low, the low and slow FM DJ voice, which is very grounding when anyone around you is starting to have like, like behavior where you can tell their nervous system is going a little wonky in that moment. When you do this low and slow late night FM DJ voice, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is like, and it's very, um, it, it, it helps them to feel calmer. It also is very assertive and loving. And so you look at her and you're like, look at you. Yes, you are calm. Come here. Come here. So what if little sister, for example, has just walked right into the coffee table? This happened last week, gotten a huge boo-boo on her head, is hysterically crying. Mm. And after my oldest, who's very love, very loving, wants to check on her, make sure she's okay. Then she wants to talk about how she's not crying. <laughs> yeah. And, so and I'm she's- trying to explain that it's not a bad thing that Violet is so upset. So she's not crying because really she wants to cry. Something scary just happened and that's her sister and she loves her and it is scary. She got hurt. She felt the fear and shock on your face and in your body. She took Should all I ask that- about that? Do you want to cry? do you want to cry? Do you feel sad right now? I would do this is what I was going to say is you do the low and slow FM DJ voice just to help ground her and then you pull her close to you. Like get her close to you and give her a little physical touch, like either just gently stroke her arm, give her a little kiss on her cheek, look into her eyes and say, yeah, you did stay calm. And that was really helpful. It was scary when sister hurt herself, huh? And you, you stayed calm and that maybe felt a little scary. Were you feeling scared for her? Were you feeling, you know, tell me how you were feeling. If she's like, no, I wasn't feeling scared. So we have this dynamic. Mm -hmm. Sorry, go ahead. If she's like, no, I wasn't feeling scared. It doesn't matter if you guess wrong because you're just connecting with her. You're seeing her, you're touching her, you're letting her know she's safe. So sister just got hurt and now she's safe. Now look, she may look, be looking for that external validation from you because there's been a, there's been a lot of, are you proud of me? Are you proud of me? Yes, I'm proud of you. Are you proud of me? Yes, I'm proud of you. So we're going to, you know, that's the beauty of doing this work when you have only a four-year-old, because it's really, you can turn this around very quickly when she's asking, are you proud of me? Are you proud of me? Say, come here and tell me more. Are you proud of me? Are you proud of you? Are you feeling calm in your body right now? Tell me how you're feeling. Constantly. Turn it back on her to start talking and anything she says, I want you to mirror back because mirroring back is just empathy. It's just active listening and empathy. And it lets her know you are not alone. I'm right here. I got you. Come here. I'm grounding you. You did stay calm for your sister. You are this supportive, loving big sister. I saw how you went and got the boo-boo bear right away. You were concerned about your sister, weren't you? Yeah, that was kind mm. of scary. I was kind of scared too. Whenever you guys hurt yourselves, that's the last thing I want. And thank you I for helping. Yeah, thank you for helping me make her. You know, thank you is not saying I'm proud of you. Thank you for helping me take care of her, helping Violet to feel safe. You know, she's a, you know, you're really an amazing big sister and you did help her to feel safe and to help her feel better right away. And that was really kind and beautiful. Mm. I love that. That's really wonderful guidance. And I definitely am going to put that into practice. The other thing I think about when I'm listening to you is I notice most of my questions, and this probably has to do with their age difference. 
is they are about my oldest and how to handle her big emotions, which she has bigger emotions than my younger daughter. She is my spirited child. And I always think, is my youngest going to notice that, that we spend all of this time calming her nervous system down? My youngest doesn't necessarily seem to need that in the same degree. Um, Mm -hmm. But I always, of course, in the back of my head, I'm wondering, is it going to look like I'm giving your older sister more attention? Maybe. And it, it might. I mean, I have a podcast called The Other Child. Uh, which is when you have a spirited kid, when you have a strong-willed kid, so much of your attention goes to that child. And what happens quite often when people come like into my program, because my tools, I say, they were designed for the strong-willed kids. The strong-willed kids are what bring us to learning these tools. And Mm -hmm. they're really just communication tools. So they're amazing for all kids. All kids benefit from these tools, not just our strong-willed ones. But when people come into the program, usually the thing that, you know, the problem they're trying to solve is how do I get my strong-willed child to stop being so strong-willed, right? And so so the tools usually are pretty magical with our strongest kids and we're really focused on them. And what always seems to happen is just when you start to have all these amazing things happening with your strong-willed child and then your other child who's been your super easy one starts acting up. And And is that a result of the oldest getting the most attention or the spirited child getting more attention? Yeah, it's almost like the the ones, and obviously this is all anecdotal, but it's just what I've seen. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's almost like the ones with the with the naturally kind of more chill temperaments. They wait. They wait until like while everything is really kind of explosive or chaotic, or you know, their 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 sibling that has the strong will is taking over. The kids that are a little more chill, they sort of know that like we don't have the threshold to deal with everything at once. So once the strong-willed child is in a better place, a lot of times they start to act out and it's like, okay, it's my turn now. I've been waiting and I'd like a little more attention. I'm sick of it being the strong-willed sibling show. Like, I, So are I, we proactive about that as parents? Because I mean, I've talked about this with my husband many times. We Last weekend, we were like, discussing treating them more equally. And it was just the most bizarre, unnatural, like didn't make any sense thing we've ever tried. Um, And it's like, do we go into this proactively as parents and try to perhaps not give the spirited child more attention um, from the beginning when clearly, I mean, my spirited child very much needs my attention? um, Or are there other ways that we can deal with it so that the one who perhaps needs a little bit less doesn't feel like she doesn't have room to be wherever she's at. You know, one of the hardest things to learn how to do is with our spirited kids, because we, especially when we are so proactive, I think that we accidentally, a lot of times give them too much power in the household. Mm. And, 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 and so just even that that's on y'all's radar chances are that might be happening. And one of the greatest things you can do is learning how when she's being the most challenging and she's like, let's say she's, you're trying to do everything possible to avoid the meltdown. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. and I think that's super common is, you know, like we get things 
you know, things are better and they're, and and it's good enough, but we're still sort of sometimes tiptoeing around trying to say it just so trying to make sure everything's just so the, the schedule doesn't ever get, you know, right. Oh, that's how we were absolutely living our lives before quarantine happened. It was just like, we were all on this rigid schedule because of my oldest, but it's not something if, if my youngest was my first child, our family wouldn't even operate that way at all. And it's very yeah, interesting. I mean, I mean, and so, and so one of the, the best things to do is if you notice that, that everybody's kind of tiptoeing around, I say it's a little bit of walking on eggshells around the spirited kid. It just, that just means that your, that your strong-willed one has a little too much power in the household. And that's actually causing your strong-willed child to feel less regulated in their body because interesting. They, they know it's not supposed to be that way. Like they know it, they, they don't realize they know it, but they do. And so that just means that you, one of the greatest things you can learn how to do is that when you, you have a plan in place for when they're, you know, taking over the household with some sort of a meltdown and there has to be a plan that was discussed ahead of time and it's in place for when they're having all these big emotions and where they sort of have to work it out and, um, and you disengage from that and you allow them to kind of develop the skills to work out that meltdown and then come and reemerge with the family, um, where you're not allowing that household hijack to happen anymore. Yes. Our household hijack, I think has definitely been happening around bedtime. She will like, if she doesn't have really clear boundaries around bedtime, it just, it's it's her way of really getting what she wants all at once. And um, we went on, we do have very tight boundaries around bedtime as a result of that. And we just went on this, va- we went on this trip to Colorado for about two weeks. And of course, all rules were gone. We all slept in each other's bed. We had the best time ever, but we came home and getting back into that routine. We probably didn't do that quite quickly enough. And I just felt like last night I was saying to my husband, I feel like Selma is running this house at bedtime. Like I'm getting nervous before bedtime. And that's how I knew something we we need, we need our rules back. Um, and I can tell that she feels unregulated when she feels like she's running the show, even if it's something she's saying she wants, yep. that's not really what any kid wants. That's right. That's right. And, so, and, and so, you know, so something that, that, I think, and recently we taught a meltdown workshop Um, in my program. I have a woman who works with me, who's a mastermind parenting coach and also happens to be a licensed occupational therapist. And she was, she talks about the disengagement during a meltdown, you know, and it was interesting because many of the parents were like, what is, tell me what disengagement looks like. And she said, they were like, how is that not abandonment? You know, where you sort of like leaving your child alone to kind of work it out. And yeah, um, so tell me what does disengagement look like as opposed to abandonment? So disengage, she said disengagement is actually the most loving thing you can do because what we're seeing in our program is some of the parents who don't come into learning this until their kids are like, you know, close to the teenage years or in the teenage years is that these kids have never learned uh, better skills and tools to help their bodies get back into a place of feeling regulated. And she said, it's because 
they would have these explosions and then, you know, mom or dad is trying to shut it down or do everything just so. And then the explosion happens and then maybe fighting ends up happening. And when the fighting ends up happening and it's back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and and a power struggle, um, the child actually experiences an, a little bit of an adrenaline rush when that's happening. And so they've used that as a tool to help their body feel more regulated. The fighting can actually be a tool that alters you, you know, biochemically, it alters your hormones. And so when you disengage from the child, like if you have your plan in place, which is, here's the deal, here's your you know, I've, I've called it a lot of different things, but a safe space, a calm down spot. Um, at one point we were saying the calm down corner, but I don't like how that sounds because it sounds to me like you're putting somebody in a corner and putting in a, a corner, hat on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, I, I personally always called it a calm down spot for my kids, which mm-hmm. was like when my son, my youngest was two and a half every, for like six months, it would be like at the dinner table, he just He had all of his favorite people around and he just couldn't control himself. Like Mm. he needed, you know, he was getting up, he was getting down, he was disrupting, he was this, he was that. And then, you know, two and a half year olds know like, like negative attention gets me a lot of attention bang for the buck. So negative behaviors gets me a lot of attention. So then he would, sometimes he would act out, he was this and that, and I would send him away from the table to his calm down spot until he could come back and follow the rules at the table. And, um, and so the disengagement is me taking him to the calm down spot. And really it was not, it was like he, he you know, the child chooses it. So he you chose stay in the my, spot with him or you left him in the spot on his own. So when you're initially setting it up, you stay there with them usually because it takes that, you know, where they start to right. realize like they're not being banished to a corner. It's not anything that, you know, they're welcome to come back and rejoin the family as soon as they're able to then follow the rules. But while they're not able to follow the rules, here's this safe space where you get to go and you get to calm down your body and take some breaths. And he chose my dog's bed, which at the time, my dog was like a major stuffed animal stealer. And so it was like this dog bed in the corner of our family room that was real, that was within eyesight of my kitchen. And it was right. piled high with all these stuffed animals that probably had dog spit all over it. Anyway, um, was so you let him help you choose. So yeah, he chose that as his spot and that's where he would go. And the first couple of times I sat there with him kind of facing out and I just kind of, you know, held him and I was just kind of breathing and I was saying your body is your body is out of control right now. You weren't able to follow the rules. We're just going to sit here until we can go back and have dinner with everyone else and follow the rules and have a nice time. But until that happens, we're just going to sit here and take some breaths. And then, you know, within a day or two, I mean, he's really an easy kid. So even as a little one, he was easy. So probably I did that one time, but with a stronger work kid, you may have to do it more than one time. And then I would, you know, when he would come back to the table, I would say, um, are you ready to follow the rules? And if he had like a loud voice or he was saying, I was like, it doesn't seem like it yet. You need to go back and continue calming your body down. And then like, then he would yell, I'm calm, mommy. And I would say, you know, you don't sound calm yet. It doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like you're calm yet. When your voice matches mine, then I'll know you're calm. Let's go back to that little kid who only went to the calm down spot one time. So we were talking about how to navigate that are we proactive about making sure that we're giving that child the attention that they need as best we can, which in some cases can feel completely impossible, 
or are we addressing this as it becomes an issue as the child gets older? What what are your suggestions around that? So I think that the way you address it is actually by stopping the household hijack with your strong will mm. blend. Okay. Um, and and look, I mean, I teach something called present engaged time with each kid, five to fifteen minutes a day, present engaged time. Um, I love I that. You know, ideally one on one, where it's just like you are just filling up their little love cup, and they have you know five to fifteen minutes with with you. And so it's like, you know, you're pro. And I think it helps with your own mindset, which is like, we had a really connecting few moments at this time today and it was delicious and I loved it. And so you don't have that guilt of, uh Oh, am I teaching this child that they are not import- as important as their sibling that they don't ever come first? No, I did this present engaged time and it was a really beautiful time for us. And so I can feel self-assured that that happened. I love it. That's wonderful. I love it. I love it. So tell me a little bit, let's talk about competition. So there's something about, okay, I'm, you know, I want you to see that I'm proud of me. Look at me. I just went down the slide five times, but what about my classroom is bigger than my sister's or Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, my shoes are more sparkly than my sister's. I find myself responding to my oldest when she says things like that with things like, it really doesn't matter how big everybody's classroom is. And I say that and I think, that's not what I want to be saying, but I don't really know how to respond. So she, um, look, seven, they say 70%, they air quotes, they say 77% of communication is nonverbal. So mm. she knows her, she knows you guys have a sparkle in your eye. Her sister is, she's easier. She's easier to parent. She sees the enjoyment level and she's, it's, there's a little bit of an insecurity of, see, I am better at things. I am. Look, look at me, look at me. And so that, so I, I, that, that would be my hunch on what's going on there. And so she just needs a little reassurance in those moments. And so the best way to give her that reassurance is again, the low, slow late night FM DJ voice. And Uh pulling her close to you and she's saying her sparkly shoes or her classroom's bigger and you pull her close and you make direct eye contact and touch her face softly, touch her arm softly and say, you, you love your sparkly shoes, huh? You wanted me to know. Tell me. I love them. What do you love about them? Yeah. What else? Yet they are super sparkly and they're more sparkly. And so, oh, you think they're more sparkly, huh? I never thought of it that way. Maybe they are. Okay. Yeah. It's wonderful. Oh, I love that. I can't wait. I'm going to listen to this again. And I can't wait to use that because that's something that we've definitely been dealing with a lot. Um, I was reading some articles in preparation for this interview and the internet seems divided on sibling conflict as parents. Do we step in or not? It was almost as though every other article was making the opposite recommendation. Some of them said, if you're, if you have children who are arguing with each other, allow them to sort it out as best they can before stepping in. And the other one suggested being very proactive about stepping in as soon as possible and helping them resolve those conflicts. What's your take on that? So my take is that the sibling relationship is this beautiful opportunity to teach conflict resolution. Um, And these are skills that they're going to have with them forever. And I think that that you don't step in, okay? You don't step in when it's going on if you can help it, okay? Mm. Number one, first and foremost, safety is always an issue. 
So the violence, you know, so when it comes to sharing, when I said the two biggest issues that people have are sharing and violence. And so if it's violent, yes, you step in. And, uh, and, and, you know, look, there's some pre-work that has to happen where we're having conversations of what are the rules of the household? The rules are in the playroom, the toys in the playroom are community toys. And if there, you know, if there is something that is very, very special that you got for your birthday and you absolutely don't want to share it you can keep it in your room and maybe, you know, you'll allow them to have a certain number of toys that are special and they are kept in their room and their toys, they're not ready to share yet because they're just so new and they're just so special. And, mm. um, and I think even before a play date that can be for kids that have a hard time sharing, because you have to remember like kids, especially magical thinking kids, which is what we want them to do, which is why we buy them toys. Um, my kids were all big toy players. Like they would go, it was important to me for them to like sit and play with their toys and have their imagination. And, um, and I loved having the toys there for them to play with because I love sitting and watching them like, do, like, like what's going on in their heads, you know, like I'm not even involved and there's, they're sitting there and they're playing. And I just think it's just such a beautiful thing to work that, to, to watch that childhood magic. And, um, and so, so having those rules in place of where are the toys, what are the sharing rules? And, um, and we've really established it. And we've established what the rules are for sharing. We've established when you take a toy out, when you're done playing with that toy, where the toy goes afterwards, um, you know, so that you get them in the habit of taking care of their things, taking, you know, putting things away, understanding that, that there is a certain way they can feel self-assured that there's a certain way toys are played with so that they don't have to worry if something's super special and it's in the community area and now their sibling is playing with it, that they're going to break it. You know, cause a lot of times we right. see kids being, we think that they're being selfish, but it's really just that they're really worried that this super special toy, which to them is like, like my daughter, her little figurines, her Polly pockets, and then her stuffed animals, like they were to her, they were real life. Like they were her friends. They were so special to her. So if all of a sudden a sibling is playing with something that's so special to you, you just want to have a little bit of reassurance that that they're going to play with it in a way that the toy is going to stay safe. And I think that that's, you know, that's understandable. So we just have to have those rules kind of ahead of time. And we also have to have the rules for what kind of family are we? And if we're a family that if period, end of story, we are a no violence household. You know, that means violent hands, violent words. So we always use soft hands, kind words, um, name calling, grabbing, pushing, hitting, like never going to be tolerated. Our, our home has to feel safe for everyone. And so if we're very, if we see one child doing something violent to another child, we have to get involved, especially when they're little, because safety is our number one priority and someone's not safe in that situation. So sometimes, especially, and I've heard this a lot with strong-willed kids where they get real territorial over their things and, and parents really worry because they don't want to have the stingy kid. You know, nobody likes mm, the stingy, right. nobody likes the stingy kid. And so 
they get really worried about it. And I just want to put it out there for people that it's very common for people with sensitive nervous systems when they feel not regulated inside their body. Okay. So their nervous system, it's like, and when we're older, the way we identify that is we'll feel anxiety. We feel nervous. We feel a pit in our stomach. So for little kids, they don't know how to define that. And when they're feeling in some way dysregulated in their nervous system, that can feel very ungrounding and out of control inside their bodies. And when you feel out of control inside your body, you tend to want to control things outside your body. And one of the number one ways that it seems like these kids who are kind of feeling dysregulated a lot, um, they the way they present is being super territorial over their things. And mm. so when all of a sudden you've got another three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old coming over, you're ch- you may notice during play dates that they're like, oh, no, that's mine. No, you can't play with that. And you, then you're having to intervene and you're like, oh my gosh, I have the stingy kid. This can't be. And then you give them a lecture and you're like, you can't, you're having a friend over, you've got to share, yada, yada, yada. We go into a lecture and it never results in your child learning how to share. So the way you handle that is before, if you have a child who's prone to this behavior, before they have a play date coming over, they're excited about their play date coming over and you sit down with them and you say, you're so excited about your friend coming over. And I want you to know that while your friend is here, they're going to be playing with your things. And when they leave, all of your things stay here. I will make sure of that. You don't Mm, have to worry. You don't have to worry at all. I will make sure that everything stays here. And while our friends are here, we share, we play, we enjoy them together. But when they leave, they stay, the toys stay here. Now, let me ask you something. It can sometimes be hard to share your most favorite thing. So do you have one thing that you'd like me to put away on a top shelf? It's not going to be played with by you or them while they're here, but it's just something that you're not really willing to share for during the play day. Is there one thing you want me to put away that's just kind of off limits? I love, I think what you're describing right now is so beautiful because you're teaching, you're teaching your child ultimately to do that for themselves. Mm-hmm. And how many adults, I mean, I think about my life as an adult and what you just described is something that I do not around my toys, but around my emotional bandwidth or many other things. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're our kid. We forget that our children can't do that for themselves. Mm-hmm. It seems obvious because they're so tiny. But we forget many times that we really need to step in and show them how that's done. And that's really what you're describing. And it's also describing, look, I mean, one of the number one things I've noticed with with women, including myself, is learning how to have boundaries. And so it's really teaching them at a very young age that they're worthy of boundaries. Like you can have something that you're like, hey, I'm come, come into my house, share my space, play with me, enjoy my toys while you're here. And there's actually one thing that I can choose to just keep sacred and special. And and it's not, it's going to be off the table and I'm allowed to do that. I'm worthy of doing that. And that's so important. And I hear so many moms, myself, so much included. I feel like we've all had that first experience where we have our friends, our our kid's friend comes over and we sort of just by nature of our society and maybe the way we were raised, 
immediately sort of completely um, devalue whatever our child's feelings are in favor of our guest. So of course, you can play whatever you want. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. And kind of give our kids this example of you're not important when somebody else is here. Right. And I know I've done that before. I've I've heard friends. I have a I know someone else who hosts a podcast who des- who described that scenario with her daughter, and um, she ran into a a friend on the street, and and the friend asked about her daughter's outfit, and she was like, "Oh, that that's just nothing. We just got that, you know, on sale a few years ago." And she thought, "Why did I say that in front of my? That's my kid's favorite outfit." But mm-hmm. we sort of do that because that's how we treat ourselves, and that's such a beautiful example of how to really proactively step out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I just, you know, yeah. And I mean, I think it's also good because it's like, it's also, so it's teaching our kids boundaries and it's also proactively teaching our kids, Hey, th- we're not even going to discuss this toy while they're here, because if you discuss it, then it's sort of like you're saying it's mine and you can't play with it. And that's actually unkind. So this is just something special that you know about. Mommy will put it away. You'll know that it's away. You'll know that it's something that you can you can play with later. And it's not something that we'll even talk about with our friends because this is something that's that special to you. We're just going to keep it away. So it also kind of teaches them like, no, I have this and you can't play with it too. You know, you're proactively kind of addressing that as well. So wonderful, Randy. I could talk to you for hours and I will because we're going to do a part two of this episode. Um, So stay tuned. There's more of Randy to come. And Randy, thank you so much for joining me today. You guys, I've created it. My team has created it, actually. If you're ready to take your family from surviving to thriving, we got something for you. We created this amazing 30-day, very affordable Mastermind Parenting Crash Course. So if you're ready to learn how to solve any problem, big or small, with your strong-willed child and, frankly, anyone, um, you're ready to learn how to master the productive combo, you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've been reading the resources that we put out, but you have found yourself not necessarily taking action, it's okay. You're normal. You just need 30 days of consistent action, and that's why we created the Crash Course. So... We're going to switch you from old school discipline and all that conditioning that you bring to the table during triggered moments because you're human, and we're going to start the retraining process. Um, it, they say it takes 30 days to create a new habit. That's why we made it a 30-day crash course. It's super affordable. I'd love to see you on the inside. We send you bite-sized trainings every day. We don't have logins and all kinds of nonsense involved. We have hired tech engineers. We send the trainings directly to your cell phone. It's a no-brainer. And it's one price per family. So it's a great way to get on the same page with your co-parent. It's a great way to start taking your family in a whole new direction. Like the time is now. So if you want to learn more, if you want to join the Mastermind Parenting Crash Course, go to mastermindparenting.com forward slash 30. That's mastermindparenting.com forward slash 30. Can't wait.